welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, we appreciate all you're doing to share the podcast with others. We appreciate those of you that are leaving reviews on the platforms that you're listening to, and that helps um, get more people engaged in the podcast. So thank you, listeners, for all you're doing. My guest on today's podcast is um, a couple going into a same-sex marriage. Their names are Alex Christofferson and Thomas Weber. They live in California, but they're in town in Utah, and we're doing a podcast this morning. I'll give you a background on both of these good men. Alex Christofferson is 25, recently graduated from Brigham Young University with a degree in psychology. He's starting a master's program, and his long-term goal is to work with children with autism. He comes from an active LDS family, has five siblings, and um, we'll talk about his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint. He served a mission in Sacramento. There it is right there on my notes, and, um, and we'll talk about his journey. Um, his fiance is here with us. They're getting married in June of, June of 2020. And his fiance's name is Thomas Weber. Thomas is here. He's 26. He um, lived in Oregon and Southern California. He recently, in 2018, graduated from BYU with a degree in chemical engineering. He is in a PhD program at UC Santa Barbara, a five-year PhD program um, in that same field, and has a long-term desire to be a professor. After that, um, program is done. He comes also from an active LDS family, served a mission in Tacoma, Washington, has four siblings. Um, this couple is attending their home ward, regular ward in the, I assume, the Santa Barbara area, mm -hmm. and um, has a good relationship with their bishop. So this is a couple that's you know getting married, um, which is outside the teachings of our church, but they're doing the very best they can as they move forward and and believe in the church, have testimonies of the church, and want to continue participating in the church. They know they can't fully participate, um, for example, attend the temple, but they'd like to participate as the best way they can, and they have a loving bishop that's, that is um, welcoming them to the ward, which is what I think um, Christ would want all of us to do, is to help everybody feel welcome in our congregation. So Thomas offered a wonderful prayer before we started. Uh, it's our prayer that this podcast will just bring us closer together as as all of, of Heavenly Father's children. And for those of you that are LGBT, you listening to these two good men may give you ideas about your life from the lessons they've learned. Um, those of you that are parents um, or local leaders, there may be better insights in how to minister. Nobody on the podcast is inviting you know, our listeners down the same path that Thomas and Alex are going down. This isn't meant to be that kind of a podcast, but it's meant to humanize their story and to be able to share their story. Every story is unique, and I'm trying to honor every type of story, and it just helps us all do better. Is that okay for an introduction, you guys? That sounds good. Great. Yeah, covered everything. <laughs> so, Thomas, let's start with you. Tell our listeners when you knew you were gay and and coming out to your parents and just kind of that road. Sure. So I knew I was gay. Well, to start off, I never used that word That's until fine. much later in life. Um, I knew I was attracted to men, um, probably at the age of 11 or 12. Um, I, at the t growing up, even all through high school, it was something that in my mind would eventually go away. 
and something that um, I was working to overcome. Um, I grew up very active in the church, um, had a strong testimony, and to me, this was not a path that was compatible with what I wanted in life, with serving a mission and eventually um, going to the temple and marrying and having a family. Um, so for me, it was something that was, I, I called it my weakness, and I called it this thing that I was couldn't ever tell anyone and had to overcome. Um, I also struggled with pornography for a lot of this, and um, I told my parents when I was probably 12 years old that I was struggling, and I talked to my bishop, um, so they knew from pretty early on. Um, I battled with it for a long time, and uh, I did eventually serve a mission, and I loved that experience, and things were actually easier on my mission. Um, I didn't have um, issues with pornography and um, and even attractions didn't seem to just matter as much and I was able to focus and had this wonderful growing experience and was pretty optimistic about things. Um, when I got home from my mission I was still attracted to men. <laughs> it didn't go away the way I thought it would um, and that's when it was okay I, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with this now because the next step in the church is to marry a woman. And that was terrifying to me because I just was not attracted. And um, I dated girls some before mission and after, and I had really great experiences with that and met some really great um, women, but there was always something missing from that relationship. Um, I did come out to um, one of my best friends um, from high school. Um, her name's Allie. That was the summer after I got home from my mission. And that was the first time I had come out to somebody um, other than my parents and a priesthood leader. And it was one of the most uh, life-changing experiences uh, because for the first time I realized that people wouldn't turn away the way I thought they would, the way I feared that they would. And my friend was loving and just said, this is okay, you know. Um, and so that was that. And I was, you know, still trying to make a straight relationship work and I was still doing everything I could to overcome it, but somebody knew. And um, I dated and those relationships didn't work out. And <laughs> that brought me to a point where I realized that marrying a woman and being in a relationship with a woman was not going to be my path. It was just not working, <laughs> to put it <laughs> briefly. Um, and it was at that point that I realized, well, I the only option for me is to be celibate and to just stay single my whole life and to be active in the church. And um, I kind of had that mindset live like that for about a year. This is my last year at BYU. And um, and then I just realized I was lonely <laughs> and all my friends were getting married, you know, and having starting families. And I realized I wanted to do that. I wanted to be in a relationship with a, a significant other and um, have that connection. And so that's when it got really scary because I realized it wasn't going to be with a woman. And what do I do now? And um, after I graduated BYU later that summer is when I decided I was going to try to meet another guy. And I was very fortunate. The first person I met was Alex. 
and <laughs> we hit things off right away. And um, I maybe we'll tell the rest of that part later because I want Alex to share his his story too. But that's that's how I came out. That's how I knew I was gay, and um, a little bit about where I ended up where I'm at. Thanks, Thomas, for telling a little bit about your story. And you know, thanks for being honest about the pornography. That um, as I work with YSAs, I recognized a lot of good men and women were working through that. Um, did you ever get, did you ever think because you, the pornography caused your sexual orientation or did you always just feel like it was an insight into your sexual orientation? I did fear that for a long time. I was worried that this was just issues with pornography and that if I could overcome that, then the attractions would go away. In fact, that's what I, that was my mindset for years and years and years. Um, but when I finally put pornography away and served a mission and came back and those were still, those feelings were still there. I thought, okay, this is, this isn't going away. What do I do with it now? Um, but yeah, I did, I did think that for a long time and I think it was unhealthy to think that way because I kind of hated myself because of that, you know, and this all, this whole thing was wrapped into this negative, uh, feelings about myself. Yeah, and that's my experience. I've heard comments at times that be, being LGBTQ is, you know, tied into pornography or like pornography. It's something you, I think pornography addiction is something you acquire. Being LGBTQ isn't something you acquire. It's just who you are. You didn't try it out to become gay. Yeah. And so I think for our listeners, that's something that took me a little bit of time to separate in my brain. I think the three of us sitting around the table and most of our listeners hopefully all would agree that pornography is something we need to overcome and it sounds like you've done a good job on that and being honest about that but it's not something in my experience that changes sexual orientation it's just an insight into sexual orientation i agree um so we're going to come back to alex and thomas tell us about coming out to your parents did you come out to your parents before your mission after your mission yeah i came out to them before my mission um when i was pretty young and uh, it was terrifying. <laughs> um, one of the scariest things I did as a youth um, because you don't know what's going to happen and you worry about what your relationship will be like after that because once you've come out, you're out and that you can't go back to where you were. And in some sense, there's safety being in the closet. There's, I can control, you know, what, people think once you're out then it's it's all there but they were loving and they were so kind and so supportive and I'm really grateful for that because it was life-changing and it it made me feel that things are going to be okay when I wasn't sure that they were thank you um both of you had kind things to say about both of your sets of parents before we recorded um, so if you're listening, you've just you're done a good job. Um, no parent is perfect in this space, but I sense that your parents are doing a really good job and um, doing the very best they can. Alec, Alex with an X. I just had a guess, Alec with a C, so I'll make sure not to get your two names confused. Give us, talk about your story coming out. When did you know you were gay? Who did you talk to? And kind of the, the first part being pre-mission. So let's see, pre-mission. Um, I knew I was gay when I was 11. Um, yeah, um, similar to Thomas, like I, it was always something that I was overcoming, something that um, I was not willing to accept within myself, um, something that I was deeply ashamed of. <laughs> yeah, um, 
is something that I had a difficult time dealing with. Um, but I was never like, for me, it was always, I'm going on a mission. And if I work my hardest, if I serve my hardest, if I pray my hardest, um, God loves me. All things are possible in Christ. Like I will, this will be something that will be changed. Um, and I, I think I, I made this like one way covenant with God. I was like, you know, if I, if I am the best member of the church, I can possibly be the best follower of Christ. If I keep a prayer on my lips at all times, then God will fix me and cure me. Um, and obviously that didn't happen, but, um, before my mission, that was my mindset. Up until I got home from my mission, that was my mindset. It was, this is something I'm working through. This is something that God will take away from me if I'm obedient. Um, because, because that's what I believed. Um, and so I worked really hard. <laughs> I would take notes in every sacrament meeting and every church meeting that I ever went to. I would go to the temple once a week. I would read the scriptures all the time. Like it was something like that I would, my whole life was centered around that. Um, and um, I never told anybody before I mission that I was gay. Um, I'm sure my parents had an inkling because, um, you know, like Thomas, I, I had struggles with pornography as well. Um, and you asked the question whether I think, it, which came first, the orientation or, or the pornography, and I'm sure it was the orientation because, you know, the very first stuff I ever saw was, was straight pornography. and that was something that um, was not ever an issue for me. Um, so I don't think that they were there aligned. Um, but it is, you know, it's something that I worked through a lot. And like Thomas, I thought if I can control this, I can control my orientation. And if I can control my life, then I, I will be the person I want to be. Um, and it, you know, I, I come to realize now the person I wanted to be um, was possible all along and you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure if this is making sense anymore but doing uh, a good job talk about your mission did you worry you'd you know the did you worried because you felt you were gay or maybe taking on same sex attraction that that would negatively impact your mission or you'd fall in love with the companions and did any of that happen yeah so I was definitely worried about that before I went on a mission it was something that I prayed really really hard about I was like Holy Father I know this is an issue and I know this is something that I'm struggling with but if I'm gonna go serve for two years please make this something that's a good experience um, and it was it was an amazing experience I didn't struggle um, at all um, I hardly thought about my attractions or pornography or any of that stuff at all while I was on my mission um, I loved every minute of my mission. I loved all my companions. Um, it built, it built my testimony of the church and gospel even stronger. Um, so my mission was an was an extraordinary experience. Um, and then I got home, and my attractions were still there, <laughs> and it just got harder and harder. And I was so upset that that my faith wasn't rewarded the way that I thought it was going to be. Um, that I wasn't cured of my attractions to men so so yeah in answer to your question my mission was a wonderful experience and i never had struggles there so i like this one-way covenant you said at first and you kind of inferred it is yeah. this deal that i hear a lot of people make mm -hmm. and i want i love the idea that we ask god to to you know i do believe in sort of god's help to help us but i i haven't heard many stories of any stories of sort of 
you know, I'll go serve and go do all this stuff, make me straight. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, the atonement can't make me left-handed or make my brown eyes, sorry, my blue eyes brown. Yeah. Um, and so I just think this is part of the needed beautiful diversity that's part of mortality. And and so the atonement is meant to break broken hearts and heal hearts and keep families together. And But the atonement, I don't like to ever minimize the potential of the atonement. So there may be individuals that feel like the atonement has caused some things for them that it are not generally happening for other people. But I certainly feel from my experience, the same way you two are sharing. And then also often the mission being a wonderful experience and the brotherhood, or if you're a gay sister, the sisterhood of being part of a greater cause. No one's dating. No one's talking about that stuff. You're all just living for bringing people unto Christ. And it's a really good time. And then the reality of sort of, you know, I'm still not straight. Mm -hmm. And all my straight companions are dating and getting married, and I really would love to do that. I want to have a family, and I'm recognizing the reality of that doesn't seem like it's possible for me. Both of you have dated women. And then that can sometimes lead to the very, very darkest moments, And as I've heard stories. And why don't you talk about your darkest moment, Alex, and just kind of what led up to that and how you got through that. Okay. Um, so... Between when I got home from my mission and um, when I met Thomas, it was, you know, it's been several years. Um, the first couple of years were really rough, um, not to the point where I was ever really suicidal, but I was, I was always depressed and always unhappy because um, I was trying to, I was trying to date women, and you know, pro was already a weird place with dating, and then you put uh, being gay in the mix of it, and it it makes it even more difficult, but. Um, but my, I would, I was not having success with relationships with women, and then I would pray to God every night. It was like, please help me be a man that is right for a woman, <laughs> a man like help me be the man that you want me to be. Um, and so I, I met a girl and I dated her, and she was absolutely wonderful, and um, we were, we fell in love, and we almost got married. Well, we almost got engaged, um, and then she broke that off, and that was a turning point for me because um, I've, I really truly believe that that relationship was God answering my prayers. Um, um, I thought God had finally heard me. Um, and I, I, I believe this relationship could have worked out if we, um, if it had gone that way, you know, I, we would have been happy. It would have been hard. It would have been really difficult, but we would have been able to have a happy relationship. Um, but it didn't work out that way. And I'm glad now. Um, did but you, afterwards, did you come out to her? I did. Yeah. I came out to her. Um, I didn't feel like that was something that I could hide. Was that scary? It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> How did she respond? She was super, um, loving and accepting. Um, she told me she was willing to, to date me through that. Um, yeah. And that, Yeah. It was it was a positive experience, and so we dated for four or five months, and um, it was a yeah, it was great. But afterwards, um, when the relationship was over, um, I still was back to that reality of now I'm gay, and 
I am trying to make this all work and it's not, it's not working. And I was so afraid that if I, if I ever dated a man or if I ever had a same sex experience that I was going to lose my eternal salvation. So my thought process was, well, you know, I'm, I can't control this. Um, I can't fix it. I don't want to go through the same experience that I just went through with um, this girl that I dated. Um, I don't want that again. Um, I can't make something like this work because it was a it was a painful. It's a painful process to be in a relationship with someone you love and not be fully attracted to that person. It's painful for them. It's painful for you. Um, and I honor the people who make that work and the people who have have success with that. I mean, I really. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful, beautiful thing for them, and that's great. But um, I think for me, it would have been very difficult. Um, and so all these all these thoughts in my head, I got really, really, really depressed. W way worse than I've ever been. Um, I remember driving down the freeway here in Utah once, and um, you know, there's, there's these big concrete barriers, and I thought, you know, if I just swerve off into this right now. That'll be it, and I won't have to deal with this anymore. I won't have to disappoint my family. I won't have to hurt the people that I love. Because that was what I was afraid of. I think I was afraid of disappointing the people that I love and hurting them, and like not uplifting, not living the the standards that I'd promised to live. I didn't want to make that happen. Um, and it was so scary when I realized that I was thinking that, that for me it was a better option to go do this than to keep on living. And I realized I was thinking I was wrong because like, I've always been a very happy and easygoing person I feel. And to realize that for me this would be a better, this felt like a better option at the moment was really, really terrifying. So uh, I didn't obviously, um, I kept driving. Um, but I realized at that point I needed to change the way I thought about myself, about my sexual orientation, um, and about my relationship with, with God and the church. And I had to rethink it all. Um, and that's when I started trying to network with other LGBT people. Um, I wasn't really looking for a relationship. I was, I was looking to, um, have more people in my life who could understand my experience, who I could understand their experience and, gain support because I needed that support. I needed it really, really bad. Um, it was around that time that I, I started going online to talk to people and that's when Thomas and I met around that point. It was a few months after that. It was a longer timeline than it sounds right here, but <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my process. What would you say to your younger self now? And that's only, I think, in about a, April of 2018 when you had that experience on the freeway. Well, and it's we're recording this in early 2020, so it's not quite two years. If you could talk to your younger self, what would you say to that, to that Alex Christofferson right now? I'd say love yourself, be kind to yourself, and trust your family. Um, I think if I had trusted my family, you know, I had one friend who I came out to after my mission. Um, my name's Rachel, and she's a wonderful, amazing, kind human being who has loved and supported me through my darkest moments. Um, and helped me see that I was worth loving. Um, 
yeah, I know God put her in my life to help me through those moments. Um, um, but I would have told myself to come out to more people. And I know that's not the safest thing for everybody. And so I'm not saying everybody should do that. But for me, if I had done that sooner, I could have had more support because my family loves me and my friends, they love me and they would have helped me more than I let them help me. But I was so afraid of the rejection and I was so afraid that they wouldn't want to be around me anymore, that if people knew who I really was, that they wouldn't they wouldn't want to be around me anymore. I know now that that's not true, but I didn't at the time. Were you out to your parents before this, or just did you come out to your parents? This being the highway. Um, so time. I was out. I'm to calling them. this the highway time. Yeah, the highway time. <laughs> I was out to them before that, like Christmas, the Christmas before that, December before that, so just a few months before that. Um, but at that point, I was I was still dating um, that girl, and so everything was going to work out. <laughs> Uh, in quotation marks, it's going to work out. Uh, and so at that point, it wasn't really a concern. It was like, okay, we love you, and you're going to make this work the way that um, the way that we believe it should happen. And so it wasn't a super big concern at that point. Um, but, you know, when I came out and told them that I was, I, I feel like I had to re-come out when I told them I was dating Thomas, and that was a much more difficult process. Um, so... Yeah, because at I that love, point I wasn't doing it. I love what you – there's a lot of great nuggets in both of your stories, but I love what you said, trust people and reach out to people because they love you and can help you, and that's still scary. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a really hard spot, I think God wants – often answers our prayers through other people. And I love your idea of getting community and finding support organizations. I just believe community of people walking the same road is so helpful and there's not a lot of that that's sort of normalized in the church. And I, it's one of the things I hope becomes more normalized is just more support. Yeah. One um, of the things that um, I sticks out to me with the conversation that I had with my sister, my older sister, um, after I came out to her, after I told her about Thomas, um, and I was, she was asking me, like, why I hadn't told people sooner. And she was asking me about why I was making this decision. Because at first it was hard for her and it was hard for a lot of my family at first when I told them I was dating Thomas and so she was trying to figure out um, this process and I told her about my that moment on the on the highway and she's like but you never told us how are we supposed to help you you know I wanted to be there to help you I she told me that and that's always haunted me a little bit because if I would have chosen to open up um, they could have helped me more and I could have had that support that I needed I don't think I would have made I probably would have made some different decisions, but I don't think my relationship with Thomas would have changed because of coming out more. But I think it would have helped me accept myself sooner and be okay with that um, part of myself. And if I would have done that, I would have been happier. I would have been more fulfilled. Even if I was staying within the church, I got within the church's teachings, I would have had the support that I needed had I chosen to open up to more people. So, if you would, is this okay if I ask this question? If you had been straight, do you think you would have? That relationship would have worked with that woman you would have gotten married or you think it would have potentially not worked either way I, I you know I I've thought about that and I I'm not sure I think it would have not worked either way and I think that because um and that's okay yeah I yeah she's she's serving a mission now and I think that was what that was probably the main reason why it broke why we broke up because she needed to have that experience it's a good answer yeah but I could be wrong I don't really know for sure <laughs> but Thomas just yeah. more about your story or comments on anything that Alex sharing that triggers some things you or triggers probably isn't the right word but just <laughs> causes you to want to share other things with our listeners yeah I I um, 
feel the same thing. I was thinking about, you know, what would you tell yourself a few years ago or in your darkest points? And for me, that's the message that things are going to be okay and you're okay. Um, I just lived with so much anxiety and so much fear about what would happen if I came out. But um, with pers this perspective I have now, it, it's the, the knowledge that your family loves you. You have friends that love you and they will always be by your side. Um, and that's the unknown before you come out. Um, and yeah, that's good. <laughs> and can I add that like coming out is messy. It just is. Uh, nobody knows how to do it. I don't know how to do it. My like, I didn't know how to, it's, it's really, really scary process. And so while I would have told myself, it's easier for me to say now to tell myself that it, you should have like come out sooner and let more opened up to more people. But it's an extremely scary and hard process. Like I know I made a lot of mistakes in the coming out process. There are people that I didn't tell as soon as I, you know, like I told one, I told people at different times and I know some of my family was upset that they weren't told sooner or, or whatever it may be. And there's still like, like some, like I, I, I worry that I hurt people along the process just because it's a very vulnerable time. So I, I do, um, I do want to ask people who, when, when someone comes out to you, just please be kind and not even be kind as accept what they're doing or whatever you may, whatever you may think, but know that it's a really scary and hard process. Um, and so please like, give, give them the benefit of the doubt. They're not trying to, I don't know, I wasn't trying to hurt anybody's feelings by telling them later or, or, or by becoming, um, upset when they weren't as open to or receptive to it as I wanted them. It's just a scary, vulnerable moment. And so it can, there's a lot of feelings involved. That's, that's good. Yeah. Talk about, um, I want to talk about how your families are now, um, cause you came out and you know, some, and, and I guess it's, it was different time for each of you, but I think it, um, now you came out and, you're dating and now you're getting married in June of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, how is your family? Let's start with Thomas. And I guess there's probably a range. It's hard to say this is the way my family's responding because there's probably a range within there. But just any thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, how your parents and family are responding? Sure. So I mentioned that I came out to my parents when I was pretty young and to one of my best friends the year after my mission. That was it as far as who knew until I met Alex. Because at that point, when I started seeing him and realizing this is going to keep going, like I'm, I'm falling in love, I realized, okay, I need to start telling people <laughs> that I'm gay, right? This has to go, this has to start moving along. And so um, I started coming out to more and more people, um, starting with my family. Uh, so I told my mom that I was now dating a man and... Uh, that was kind of scary, um, but she was so loving and so wonderful about it and just was wanting me to find happiness. And um, my mom is a pretty open-minded person in general, and um, her sister is lesbian, my aunt. And so it's always kind of been just a part of her experience, and I think that helped her to have a space in her mind where this would be okay for me, but um, that was a really wonderful and, and uh, helpful experience for me. Um, 
I, in the next she's, few months. Is she in the church, out of the church? She's active in the church, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so following that, in the next few months, I uh, came out to my siblings um, at a family dinner when I was home before my sisters who are serving missions now before they left. And uh, I didn't tell them about Alex yet. I was worried about that. And so I was uh, doing it kind of in pieces, which I don't know if that was the best way to do it, but that's how I did it. And, uh, and then over time to my closer friends, my old roommates from college and, um, and some other um, extended family loved ones. And eventually then I would start telling people about Alex too. And, and so my siblings all found out about that um, because it is kind of like coming out a second time. You know, the first time when you say I have same sex attractions, it's, in the context of the church, you know, you can be active, you can do everything with that. But to tell them I'm in a relationship with a man is another thing. <laughs> and it's a hard thing to do to, for some people who are um, active in the LDS church to hear that and to figure out what does that mean for my family or for that context. Um, but I, looking back now on these experiences of coming out to people and and having Alex and I start to build this relationship is that I learned um, things didn't go as bad as I thought they would, especially with my family. I'm really, really fortunate to have my parents and my siblings who have been all very supportive. And uh, my dad and my stepmom, my parents are divorced, have been very loving and very positive about it and kind to Alex, uh, my mom, of course. Um, has been one of my biggest allies and biggest supporters. And uh, my siblings too. I have two siblings who are not active in the church. And so they have been really just cool about it, very welcoming to Alex. And uh, even my two youngest sisters who are serving missions right now, when I told them they were, they were pretty happy for me. And uh, I was worried about that, but they were happy for me. And we have a very close relationship and I'm glad that we, we still do. And I'm excited for them to meet Alex in the next uh, few months when they get home. So they'll be home from their mission in time they'll for the wedding? They'll be home in uh, late May, yeah. So Did you we, time the wedding so that they would be We home? wanted them to be there, yeah. That was part of the, the timing for that. Um, so, yeah, I think that answers your original question going back about the next few steps for me in my life and my path of coming out. Um, scary, but overall really positive. Talk about your family, Alex. Um, so uh, my family had a more difficult time with it. Um, they, let's see, I have five sisters. Um, and Well, that's the reason you're gay, Alex. <laughs> that's what <laughs> people have said. If you had some brothers, you wouldn't be gay. <laughs> uh, I wish it was that I'm easy just explanation. I hope our listeners know I'm teasing. I heard that once upon a time, I heard that as an explanation to why someone's gay is they had too many sisters. So I, I haven't really addressed that one on the podcast. I hope we're all past that stage. Yes. I, th I think we all know that that's not Having a lot of women in our, in our life, if we're men, does not make us gay. Yeah. No, definitely not. All right, back to you, Alex. <laughs> I digress. Uh, um, and I've always had a really close relationship with, with my family. Um, they're the most important people in my life. Um, so coming out to them was really, really difficult. Um, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, when I came out to them at first, it was under the context I was in a relationship with a woman. Like um, I was, I was, I was same sex. I had same sex attraction, not 
I was not gay. Um, so like Thomas, I had like this second coming out when I was dating Thomas and that was, it was extremely difficult. Um, it was, it was hard for me to tell everybody. Um, and I think I'm not exactly sure why I felt so much harder. Um, it just did. Um, I was never ashamed of Thomas and of my relationship with Thomas. Um, I was just afraid of the responses. Um, and <laughs> it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't as good as I hoped it could have been. Um, most of my family was, was pretty upset about it. Um, and it took, it took a lot of, it took months, months of talking and months of, um, discussing and months of tears to get to the point where we are today where I think most of my family is going to be at the wedding um, and they're going to they, they've met Thomas and they love him I think they love him <laughs> he's a really um, you know they, they get along with him and um, I think they are seeing that, that this is a good thing I hope um, I don't want to put words in their mouths I'm not sure but they've we have much more open conversations about it and it's a lot more positivity um at first it was pretty hard and negative and i still have struggles um you know um a lot of my family just like my extended family just doesn't talk to me about it um and that's hard um it kind of just sometimes feels ignored um which the main reason why that's hard is because Thomas is an important part of my life. You know, we're going to be spending the rest of our lives together and um, my family won't even, they struggle to talk to me about it. Um, and I understand that it's a difficult process and I don't want to, I don't want any of my family, if they listen, to feel like I'm angry at them or to feel like, like I think they're, I just want everybody to know that, that, Thomas like our relationship's good and that um it's it's an okay thing to talk about um we can uh, <laughs> yeah I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with this anymore but I know that it seems like communication's a big part of yeah. just it is a keeping a family it, together uh-huh and like my immediate family has been really good at communicating with me and that's been that's what's made it better and that's what's made it easier and as we've gone that communication has just gotten better um, and made things easier and happier. Um, and I, I, yeah, it's been a hard process coming out to my family and, and making that all, make, helping other people, other people understand. And the thing is, you can't help anybody understand your experience if you don't talk about it um, and if people aren't willing to listen to you. Um, so I don't know. I love my family dearly. I really do. They're all wonderful people. Um, and I'm excited for them to get the opportunity to know Thomas better uh, throughout the years. Um, and that's the name of the podcast, right? Listen, learn, and love. That's what it takes. Um, because for a lot of people who don't have exposure to people who are LGBT, it's really hard to understand and hard to wrap your mind around it. But um, it takes those conversations, communication, and uh, just coming at it from an angle of love and that's what keeps families together good discussion and um the podcast i believe that will be released before this one is from the fowler family so if anybody's listening to this podcast the fowler podcast would be a good one to listen to because there's active lds parents on the podcast 
Um, Jeff Fowler is a former YSA bishop, and they're on the podcast with their son, Alec, who had got married last year to his husband, Blake, and all four of them are on the podcast. And they just talk about, from the parents' perspective, you know, what how you navigate this road there and just how they navigate it in their family. And they'll be the first ones to say it was a journey and it just took time. Um, their gay son probably had been processing this for 15 years before he finally sort of involved the family in the totality of the path he was going down. And so the parents kind of talk about that. So you parents, I think all of us, the three of us right here would say it takes some time. Um, and you may need other parents that have gone down this road or listened to their stories. The book by Becky McIntosh, Love Boldly, is just a good story, I believe, of her son, Sean, and his husband. Um, sorry, my friend. I knew your hus husband's name, but I forgot it. Uh, they were on the podcast. I can see um, Carson. I think it's Carson. And so they are active LDS parents just saying, you know, we just decided to, you know, we just decided, given that our adult children made these choices, we're going to just, you know, support them like we would our other adult children and keep the family circle together and not worry about eternities, not worry about this idea of empty chairs in the next life. So obviously LDS parents, I would feel the same way if I have a son or a daughter not living the teachings of the church. I worry about our eternal family and what this means. But I love what Becky McIntosh says in her video on the church's website is anybody and everybody will be welcome in our home. We're just going to leave this at the Savior's feet. And I like that. And I like where we shouldn't right now mourn a future outcome. I talk about that at times. It's like me mourning my Dodgers losing again right now <laughs> or the jazz for you jazz fans. You know, it's like mourning a playoff loss right now. And so I think we shouldn't mourn a future outcome and if we have adult children that have stepped away from the church and you really haven't because you're going to church <laughs> but if they've separated themselves from the church you know i think we should just leave that at the savior's feet and know that they're heavenly father's children and particularly for lgbtq members recognize that their road is harder and um, they're in this double bind that other guests have talked about where they have a testimony of the church like um, like Thomas and Alex do, and also they're gay. And so they just, they'd, they would love to share their life with somebody and love to be in the church. And it's almost harder when you have a testimony in the church and you love the church like you two do, and you want to share your life with someone and you can't, res you can't take either out of your life. <laughs> and so I recognize the complexity of your situation. And so what do I do as a committed Latter-day Saint? I just... You know, like that you're keeping the family circle together. I like that you're keeping God in your life. I like that you're moving forward in a thoughtful, responsible way. Um, and that maybe leads us into the next segment is talk about your decision to continue to attend church. So you moved um, to Ber the Santa Barbara area because of um, Thomas's Ph.D. program. And talk about, OK, we're here now. We're in the same word boundary to just talk about your decision to show up to church. Whose idea was that? <laughs> it was definitely a joint decision. <laughs> you know, we both love the church, and we both have, um, I guess I'll speak for myself, I love the church, and I have a strong testimony of the Savior Jesus Christ. Um, and I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father, and I know that they love me. And I know that that is 100% um, due to 
my um, upbringing us in the church. I love the things that I've been taught. I love my Savior very much. Um, and so like, the thought of not going to church and not... And not having that spiritual aspect in my life is just not, not an option. So, um, so we went to church. We decided to go to church, and it was a scary. It's been scary <laughs> every day, every week. Going to church is actually a little bit scary. A little. Did you sit together? Like, yeah. Sat together. Of back row, front row. Back row. <laughs> we arrived ten minutes late. <laughs> sat in the very back row and left as soon as the prayer was, the sacrament prayer was um, said, and and it was a good experience. And we've gone back every week since then. Um, and it's been a very positive experience going to our ward. Um, Thomas. Yeah, no. uh, it was definitely scary going there because I'm now going to church with my same-sex partner, which is not common. You don't see that really in the church. And, um, and this was a new ward for both of us. I had been living in Santa Barbara for about nine months at that point, and I was attending the YSA ward. And um, Alex finished up school and he moved to Santa Barbara summer of 2019. And so, and we, he moved so that we would live together. And, um, and so we were like, well, we're, we consider ourselves a family now. Let's try the so family. The, the YSA ward's off the table, I guess. Oh, table. Yeah, we did not. <laughs> Some logic in it that. Was, I get that. Yeah. If we're going to go to church together, it was not really going to be the YSA ward. Um, and so we went to this new ward and, uh, we went week after week and it was kind of the same thing. Uh, we would show up a little late and leave right at the end, trying to kind of try to avoid interacting with people because <laughs> we were scared. Um, after maybe two months of that, um, there was a Sunday when we were on our way out after sacrament meeting and we were in the car and I see out of my rear view, rear view mirror, our bishop is we're literally running out to the car towards us. <laughs> we kind of look at each other like, oh, what's going on here? And uh, so I rolled down my window and he just says, hey, I, I, the first time I saw you guys, I thought you were just visitors in the back, but you keep coming back. And I wanted to just introduce myself and, and meet you. And so we said our names and he said, oh, great. Well, you're always welcome here. And that was it. And then we drove home and um, later sent him a message kind of explaining like, hey, this is a little bit about us we're in a relationship that's why we've been kind of nervous and and in the back and uh and he was just kind and just said well you're always welcome here and uh, about a month after that maybe the same wonderful bishop um invited us over to his home just to get to know us and um and we sat down and we just talked to him he just asked our our stories um kind of like this podcast honestly but it was just the three of us and um and he shared a little about his family and um, his experience with his kids who've had a lot of um, LGBT friends. And so they were always in the home. And I think he just has a little bit of exposure to it, but it's also, but also it's his kind demeanor. And um, his message to us um, he shared was the Sunday when he came up to talk to us, um, he said he saw us in the back and had the impression go tell them that I love them. And that was Heavenly Father speaking to him. And uh, when he conveyed that to us, I could feel that. And it was a very powerful experience. And he didn't invite us to 
repent or leave each other in a relationship. He just said, know that Heavenly Father loves you. And that was like, that was, that was a big moment. And since then, we felt a lot safer there and comfortable there. Um, so we owe a lot to him. It's, it's hard sometimes hearing from, from those around you that when you're making a wrong decision and that you're not, you're going to lose your eternal salvation to remember how much God loves you. Um, and I, I know that he does. He loves us regardless. Um, and having that experience from a bishop tell us that he had that experience just reminded us once again that the church is where we belong even if it's um even if it's to a lesser capacity than we used to be involved it's still something that is a wonderful part of our lives that we will always keep a part of our lives and i recognize that's not as, as easy not as easy for every lgbt person but um for us that's what we've chosen chosen to stay with each other and stay within the church as much as possible. And it's been a wonderful experience so far. It's been testimony building for sure. What else has he done to help you feel welcome? He's invited us um, he, for the Christmas devotional. He invited us over um, for, to have dinner with his family and the watch first the Christmas Christmas devotional. Christmas uh -huh. devotional. Yeah, yeah, just this last Christmas. And that was really nice. It was really good to be able to go um, listen to the the prophet and um, I actually can't remember even if the prophet spoke, but to hear the leaders yeah, of the church the speak about it and speak about Christ and his birth. Um, and then to have that experience with his family was, was really, was really sweet and kind. And um, just his, he's got a wonderful wife. How many wife. times has he invited you to his home? Um, I think he's invited us several times. We've been over there twice now. Twice. Um, has he ever met with you in his office, or has it always been in, his, in the home? It's always been in his home, yeah. Um, we also had the uh, one of the counselors in the bishopric invite us over to have dinner with his family, and they were extremely kind. And, yeah. um, and our elders quorum president and a counselor came to our home to visit us and meet us, and that was really kind, too. Yeah. And do they know you're yeah. Yeah. a gay couple? Yeah, yeah, they all know we're a gay couple, and they're all just extremely welcoming, um, which has been very kind um, and helped us feel comfortable. And now we're... We love going back and, um, you know, we don't always stay for all two hours, <laughs> but we always enjoy sacrament meeting. And um, one of the things that Bishop invited us to do is, you know, because we mentioned to him that we, we recognize we can't um, participate fully. And at this point, we're okay with that. And he, he told us, like, yeah, but there, there are things you can do. You can go. We have got service activities. You can come join the Word Choir. Um, you, you can do all those different things. And I still haven't joined the Word Choir. I know he, the last Sunday, the last Christmas Sunday, they have this instant choir for the Hallelujah Chorus. And he, he was sitting up there on the stand, gesturing me to come up. But I was too, I was too, too scared. <laughs> but, like, he wants us to participate. He wants us to um, serve as much as possible. And I... I think that's something we're working up towards. Still. Yeah. So. You know, I I got tears in my eyes when I thought of that bishop leaving the building and falling out to your car. What kind of a message that sends you? Maybe a little scary at first, wondering what he wanted, but you maybe wanted to have that conversation would be my guess. and. Mm -hmm. You're nervous about it. There may be some anxiety. And I love that he brought you to his home. 
you know, the bishops, he could have brought you to the bishop's office. And I think given that he's a pretty, really good guy, I think that would have been fine. But mm -hmm. there's something about the home and there's something about inviting you to dinner mm -hmm. inviting you to the Christmas and having you, you know, what kind of a message does it send that I want you in my home and I want you with my family about how he feels about you versus maybe just kind of privately meeting with you, but not wanting, I mean, that just sends, there's some subtle, really important things I'm thinking that yeah. um, that are unwritten there that might be very helpful in this relationship he's building with you. In a way, it almost felt like Heavenly Father inviting us back to church. Even though we've been going, it just felt like Heavenly Father saying, yes, come back and, and be here. Don't, don't leave. So I chased one guy out to the parking lot, Cruz Soto, <laughs> is a YSA bishop. And, you know, we did a podcast with Cruz. It was a really key moment for him to stay in the church. And he's straight, married a woman, but he was a new convert and was just chick. Our ward boundaries just changed. And I felt impressed to follow him in the parking lot and just. You know, so I'm glad I acted on that impression. I'm glad your bishop did. Mm -hmm. And it's a real pivot time sometimes. And I hope, sometimes I worry with all the meetings and all the fixed schedules that I, as a priesthood leader, sometimes I'm not sensitive enough to the spirit and and sort of responsive enough to not be so rigid that I just blow off stuff. I remember yeah. once blowing off word council on a Sunday morning and knocking on a young man's home. I just said, we're done with word council. I'm going to this address. Um, somebody I didn't know, but just felt really impressed to reach out to. Um, I love, you know, I've always felt, I've used this language in the past that there should be no belief or behavior hurdle to be welcome in an LDS congregation. And that the narrowing of the gate occurs at the temple and there's a belief and a behavior hurdle there. And I look at Christ's ministry and everything he did with people that others said shouldn't be welcome there, he welcomed. And so I I think our wards need to follow the doctrine of Christ and what he did to make sure everybody's welcome. And so I look at what your bishop's doing, and he's not selling out some part of our doctrine. He's not... There's not a trade-off here. He's not like ignoring something to make you feel welcome. He's just doing what Christ would do to help you feel welcome in a congregation so you can come unto Christ and feel his spirit, worship with him, and have God in your lives. And I love what he's doing that somehow came intuitive to him. Mm -hmm. And then with the YSAs and your YSA age, I would often let the YSA set the agenda a lot that I met with were not fully participating in the church in my experience. And I often would let them set the agenda and kind of instead of walking ahead of them, I would walk with them. And um, some never wanted to fully participate in the church, but I always felt like my role in their life was not conditional on some outcome um, that was related to fully participating in the church. I just felt like I could walk with them on the road and as a trusted adult and a priesthood leader, because they knew I loved them, that they would continue to reach out to me when um, they needed me and I could continue to provide thoughtful input because I loved them and I just accepted them where they are. And so that's the way I approach situations like that. And yeah, I, as your bishop, I'm probably worried about your spiritual salvation, welfare, and so there, I might feel responsibility for that. I think I probably do and did. And, but I would probably be 
just kind of still say, my agenda is to have a non-agenda relationship with you. And if you feel like there's a change in your road or a different road you want to take, I've always felt that best comes from you. <laughs> and then I would be there to help you walk on a potentially different road or adjusting that road. But it usually wasn't. I, I just felt like you needed to receive personal revelation for you. Um, and I would honor the road and the feelings you had. So that's how I managed that. Um, any other thoughts on just a priesthood leader's role in your life and just what's happening in your ward? Yeah, um, I just think it was really wonderful what the way he the way he approached it. Um, you know, had he had he come at us and said, "Hey, if you want to be." Um, members of the church you need to leave each other like that would have been really something that I wouldn't have been able to get on board with because I, I truly believe that God has led me to Thomas and that our lives have been put together for a purpose um, so having him just just invite us in and say you're loved and you're welcome here um, was was really a wonderful thing for us um, I recognize, like, were we to come to him and say, hey, we want to um, fully participate in the church, there would be other steps that he would have us take. And um, I'm glad he's leaving that, that at our at our, at our foots, at our feet, because it's up, I mean, it's up to us at this point. Um, and we've, we've made a decision to stay together and to participate in the church as much as we can. And that's, that's what we're, we're happy with at this point. Um, and should God ask us to do something different, we'll we'll take that as it comes. But at this point, we feel God wants us to be together and to be in the church as much as possible. So if we had, if we were to have the bishop come and tell us, absolutely not, you must do it this way, that would have been a, a much more difficult process for us. But to have him just invite us and love us and welcome us in was exactly what we needed at this point. How do you respond to, and maybe no one said this to you, but at times it said to people that would be on your road that Satan's deceived you. Um, and you need to be undeceived, I guess, is the inference of that. How how do you handle that? I've had people mention that to uh, to me for sure. My family's mentioned that to me, and I, um, you know, you can you can believe what you want to believe, but I have a relationship with my heavenly Father, um, and I've cultivated that over a long period of time. And I'm just as capable of receiving my personal revelation from Heavenly Father um, as you are for your own self. Um, and I just, I don't, by your fruits, by their fruits you shall know them. The fruits of my relationship with Thomas have been good. We've become better people. We've made better decisions. Um, we're able to help each other, like, more fully participate with um, the church and with our beliefs and we pray together we read scriptures together um, <laughs> this is it's not of Satan um, and we're not being deceived that's my personal belief Thomas any thoughts on that yeah I, I agree with what Alex said um, for my experience and meeting Alex and being a gay member of the church I have felt led down this path and I know that that can be kind of hard to hear for some members of the church because it might not coincide with the things they um, understand or hold as truths. Um, but it's important to not assume of others that they are being deceived uh, or however they might say that. It's important to 
um, sort of take their word for it and say, this, part, this person's probably doing the best they can. I think most people are probably doing the best that they can with the knowledge they have. And, uh, and just to let them make those decisions and to show love and to show I'm here for you. That's the important thing. It's a really good answers. And I think Satan's real and wants to destroy us. Mm -hmm. And, and I, but I just honor my personal revelation teaches me to honor other people's personal revelation. Um, I honor the church and the church leaders and the church teachings, but I recognize that for LGBTQ members, their just wrote is unique. And so I think they need to receive personal revelation for their lives. And, and I just honor that. And I try not to, I, it isn't my responsibility to sort of judge your personal revelation. And I just leave that at the Savior's feet. I also recognize as we bring you in and, and try to embrace you as much as we can, we're less likely to meet really angry ex-LDS people <laughs> um, that then feel so much pain of rejection that that leads to anger, that then leads to um, lashing out at people at churches at others and just can fester in us so i want in this world of building bridges with people that aren't you know i'm not calling you stepped away because you're going to the church but just in a different way i don't i would want to bring you in just the way i think christ would to help you feel as welcome as you can like your bishop's doing and i just think then it helps you make better decisions in your life you'll we're likely to stay close to God and have a relationship with God, feel the love of the Savior in your life, and not have that pain that we might generate in your lives. Your lives are all focused, the fruits of your lives are, you know, all wanting to serve. These degrees you're getting um, are mostly about helping other people. And I look at the fruits of your lives and the things you're doing now and your contributions to society and recognize that from a pragmatic standpoint, I want to do everything I can to help you good men move forward in your lives in a really thoughtful way and recognize that at some level, having a life partner to help each other accomplish goals, certainly for me and my my wife has been a big part of that for me in my life and has been my greatest advocate and my greatest supporter and has helped me become the person I am because of a life partner. And I recognize the healthiness of that and and... I think since we decided that gay people didn't choose to be gay and they can't do anything to become ungay, then to me, my responsibility as an act of Latter-day Saint is not to put the burden on you to somehow fit in. It's to, it's to do everything I can to support you as you're making your way forward on a very unique road. And so that's kind of just some of my thoughts. I, yeah, I think Satan would want to have you live in your shame and your self-loathing. In my experience with the YSA, shame's great, Satan's greatest tool is to just make you feel you're not worthy of God's love and you're outside of God's love because of mess-ups, whatever the mess-ups are. Um, being gay, just by f being gay, you can feel like you're outside of God's love or the self-loathing or the shame of that. Um, I think that's Satan's great, one of greatest tools. So I look at where you are now in your spiritual journey, and I don't sense a lot of Satan ability to have you live in the shame of being gay. And I just think then you're in a much healthier emotional spot to make better decisions as you go forward. And you're more likely to have a relationship with God because you don't live in the shame of I'm gay. 
um, and I'm gay in LDS. And so I recognize the spiritual tools and the emotional tools that in your 20s, you've, you've been able to move into this really healthy spot. And I, I, I like that. And I recognize the men my age that were walking your road. Um, it was a much more difficult road to walk. Any more thoughts on any of that you'd like to chime in with? Um, I don't think so. You're okay with all yeah. that? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. I've always thought repentance, so if um, it's sort of like, what's my job? I'm not a bishop anymore, but I've always, it was my brother's advice, who was a former stake president. <laughs> Maybe he was the stake president when I was called as bishop, but he said to me, he said, you know, most of the time repentance is to bring somebody, it's to move them forward when they both, when they kind of want to go through the process to fully um, return to the church. So it wasn't something that I usually proactively generated with a YSA. It was sort of something that we would counsel together and decide, okay, is it time to fully participate in the church? Then let's go through the repentance process and a potential disciplinary counsel, not as a way to bring them down further, but as a way where we all felt was the right time to go through that process in a positive way to help them to achieve their goals to fully participate in the church. So I wouldn't, if I were your bishop, I wouldn't feel any need to proactively um, ask you to participate in the disciplinary council because you're not asking to fully participate in the church. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not asking to be temple worthy and you're not asking. So I just think that's, I think that's fine. Now, every priest or leader may feel different about that, but I think that that's a, and then I think we just kind of, I used to often with the YSAs, when we decided to do a disciplinary council, they were part of the council to decide that. It wasn't something that I decided without them. Um, that was just the way I processed it. And I wanted all of us, yeah, I had the keys to decide to do that or not to do that. So, but I felt like their input in the whole process. Now there's times the disciplinary council is required. Um, and so I, that never happened in my situation, but there are times when a disciplinary counsel is required. So I guess in those situations, you probably, you may not counsel with the one that's required, but you may. But I can't remember what those are that are required. <laughs> but being in a same-sex relationship is not required, you know, as according to the Bishop's Handbook. If you were an opposite-sex couple living together, that's not required to have a disciplinary counsel. And you're a same-sex couple living together, you're... You're both in the way the church teaches in the handbook right now, just in the same category, but a disciplinary council is not required. Um, but it's a possibility if you wanted to return back to the church in full fellowship. So for our listeners, that's just the way I handle those situations. Um, you're kind of, is that sound okay from what you understand? And Yeah. I mean, at this point, we're happy um, to be able to participate as much as the church will let us. Um, we don't want to, we're not trying to, um, rock the boat or anything we yeah. just we just want to have a relationship with our heavenly father um and by going to church and so um should we at some point choose to want to participate fully we we would go through the process that the church asks us to go through um which i mean people have varying beliefs about this but i believe that god has it set up in a way that will help each each member of the church grow um so i think we're we're, we have a lot of growing capacity where we're at at the moment. <laughs> and I, there's a side of me that, you know, hopes that more 
people, more couples in your situation are able to stay mm-hmm. in the way and create space for you. Because I still look at what Christ did, and I and I think everybody should feel welcome in a congregation, mm-hmm. and everybody should have that spiritual experience on a Sunday mm-hmm. to be able to feel God's love and receive God's impressions on how to move forward in your life. And I've, uh, you know, I've been looking up quotes from our leaders of. Because sometimes our leaders have said God's love is not conditional. And sometimes our leaders have said God's love is unconditional. I hope I didn't say that backwards. My personal, I may have said that backwards, listeners, but my, I, I just do believe that God wants a relationship with every one of his children. And that is a fundamental doctrine of our restored church is a loving, loving heavenly parents that want a relationship with every one of their children have the capacity to do that. And nothing we can do can take them outside, can take us outside of their love. Now they might be, they'll be disappointed with us at times and, and want us to correct our lives in certain ways. That's just the way I feel about our heavenly parents. It's the way I feel about my own children. Nothing they can do can take them outside of my love for them and my desire to continue to communicate with them and have them in the circle. Any thoughts on that? I mean, that's the very first thing we teach as missionaries. When I was on my mission, the very first thing I'd ever teach anybody is that God loves you. And he always wants to hear from you. So I totally believe that. That God loves each and every one of us. More than we can possibly know, God loves us. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and I, if I can convey one message on this podcast, it's that for those who are gay or just in anywhere in the LGBT spectrum and who want to stay as a member of the church, that is possible. Those are not mutually exclusive. It is not an easy path and there are not a lot of answers. We right now are in a position, we don't know what how it's all gonna look, but it is possible and, and Heavenly Father wants you to be close to him. And uh, I wasn't certain that that was possible before I met Alex. It seemed like if I was to be gay and, you know, air quotes, be gay and and be in a relationship with a man, it meant I have to leave the church. But I now understand that is not true. And I hope that other people can know that too. And again, it's not that I'm saying if you're gay, you have to follow this path. I think choosing your path should require a lot of serious thought, a lot of talking to loved ones, a lot of prayer. But for those who choose this, you don't have to leave the church. Um, any other thoughts? I, I wanted to talk about Bishop Larson, who was Tom Christofferson's bishop in the book that we may be one. He happened to be in our stake presidency before he moved after he was in Connecticut, and now he's back on the East Coast. But um, our listeners may be familiar with Tom and coming to church in Connecticut and being in a same-sex partnership. And his, I think from everything I can understand from Bishop Larson and President Checkett's estate president, that their relationship with Tom wasn't about ending their same-sex partnership. It was just about loving Tom mm-hmm. and helping Tom feel welcome. And I've heard in a Q&A when Tom did separate from his partner, um, either the stake president or the bishop said that was not a high five moment. Um, We didn't rejoice in Tom and his partner's relationship ending so Tom could fully participate in the church. And that wasn't, their goal was just to help Tom feel welcome at church. It wasn't to break up a partnership. 
And that was instructive for me. I just recognized they recognized the complexities of that, and they just wanted to help Tom feel welcome in that ward and let Tom sort of set the set the agenda. Now, those that story, given where you are, I don't know if that's triggering because some people, Tom wrote his book not to have it used as like a weapon for people like you. Um, that was one of the tender, re that's one of the mo most tender things from what I understand Tom feels is he doesn't want his book to be weaponized. That may be too strong of a word and used towards LGBTQ people that have, are in a different place than Tom was when he wrote that book. Um, so I think that's an important principle, and that's what this podcast I try to do also, is I don't want any of these episodes to sort of become as, okay, this is the way you do it. Right. Um, any thoughts on that, or any, and I want to, any thoughts on that situation with Tom, and just, you're, I assume you're familiar with the story yeah, in his yeah, book. Yeah, we've read that book. I think it's really easy to say, okay, that person did it this way, so you can do it too. Um, like, I know some people, I had a friend who was gay and active and living celibate for a long time. And um, people would always tell their family members that were struggling, like, oh, he does it. That means you can do it too. And I think it's really easy to say that, but each person's life experience is different. Um, I honor the people who stay celibate and live in the church and do that properly, do that the way that they believe is correct. Um, but I also honor the people who've chosen to um, make mixed orientation marriages work or the people who've chosen to be in a same-sex relationship. I think whatever your path leads, um, as long as you, I think as long as you leave room for Heavenly Father, um, then you'll be led down the right path. That's that's my thought, and I don't think we should prescribe someone else's journey on anybody else. Do you want people that are celibate to follow your path? No, I want them to make a decision that's best for them. If they feel it's best to to stay there with being celibate, because um, I hope I hope that they are able to find happiness that way. Um, whatever whatever path looks best for you and feels best for you and uh, you've counseled with God and, and yourself and thought about it deeply, that's that's where you should be. I like that answer and I think it's a really mature answer and I, I've said this before, but I think sometimes you're not doing this, but sometimes LGBT will take their life experience and want others to kind of follow their path. It helps maybe perhaps validate their path as the right path if more follow that path and I, I love the maturity that I'm sensing in a lot of LDS, LGBTQ people and just a lot of people I interact with saying, this is our path, but please, but we're trying to support other LGBTQ people on their path. And we're confident enough in our path that we can sort of say, we're not trying to pull everybody in our path. And I recognize for straight people, we don't have to deal with any of that. Our path is the heteronormative path. So we don't have the added complication of having to justify our path through the world. And and so I recognize the difficulty at some level of your road and the maturity that you both have. Um, another question came to mind, um, but I, I love your words. I'm doing the best I can, Thomas. I, what a thoughtful answer. And, um, and so to me, that creates space that I, I should just honor that you're doing the best you can and support you doing the best you can given your individual um, experiences and I think there's grace. I love this word grace. There's great grace. Sometimes I'll have an experience with um, an active LDS person that I feel like they could have done better. Sometimes after reflecting it for a long time, I come back to what you just said. 
they're doing the best they can and their heart's in the right spot and it causes me to want to extend grace to them. And I thought that was a really thoughtful thing you just said. Anything else either of you would like to share? Um, I just want to make sure that I express my love and gratitude for um, my Heavenly Father, for my wonderful friends that have stood by my side. I had great roommates who were always there to support me. I had um, my friend Rachel and Thomas and, and, and you for what you do with this podcast because I, I was mentioned it before, but like there were times after church when Thomas and I would come home and I would feel like, is this really something that we can do? Like stay in the church, stay in the church. Or is this really something we can feel comfortable with? And, and, because it's a lot. It's really anxiety-inducing sometimes to put yourself in a situation where, and it's in a vulnerable situation like that. And then we'd come home and we'd listen to a podcast and say, "Oh my gosh, we can do this," because we hear other people's experience of making it work or other people's spiritual experiences, and and hearing those different stories and hearing your openness to listening to them and. Um, it just brought it, gave us the hope that we needed and the, the faith and, the, and the, the lift we needed to be like, okay, yeah, church, we can continue down this path. So thank you for what you're doing. And um, just want to express my love and gratitude to all those people who supported me along the way and supported us. And, yeah. Thanks. Anything to add, Thomas? Yeah, I, um, I was going to say the same thing as gratitude for this podcast and for the people who are just kind, for the people who listen um that's what is necessary for um those of us who are in the lgbt community um it's a hard path but also it's a beautiful one i love my life i love alex and i love the experience i've had because of that um i would never have said this in most of my life i'm glad i'm gay i really am um because of what it's taught me and the person it's, it's uh made me become and uh there is so many wonderful qualities about LGBT people that we should welcome into our churches, our communities, our lives. And um, I hope we make more space to that. And I think we are. There's been a lot of good progress lately and a lot more to come too. I have another question that we could end right there because that was perfect. Um, I In this book I'm writing, and I think one of you are in the Facebook group, I keep asking questions to my LGBTQ friends, but one of the questions I've asked is, um, we talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ that's real, and there's an aspect of that that helps us overcome sin, but there's an aspect of that that is the idea in Doctrine and Covenants, Christ descended below all things. And there's a doctrine there that Christ understands your road. Um, and he can, the atonement's ability to help you um, walk this unique road you're walking. Any thoughts on just how the atonement of Jesus Christ, this isn't the repentance part of it. We sometimes think the atonement of Jesus Christ and we think repentance, and I, that's real and really helpful, but there's this whole other side of the atonement that's he's descended below all things to understand our individual roads and is somehow then can help us walk this road. Any thoughts on that in your life? I firmly believe that our Savior, when he, when he, suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he felt every pain that I've ever felt, that he knows my journey, he knows me, he knows my path. So I know that he has walked this journey with me, that he knows what I'm going through, 
that he will help me. That's great. Anything comes to mind, Thomas? Yeah, I echo that that testimony, and um, and uh, yeah, I I believe the Savior's felt all these things, and He has that power to understand and walk with us. And it's really important to rely on that, and uh, it's a very real power that can help you wherever you are in your path. And that's one of the core doctrines of our restored church that I just love is our understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And those words in DNC, wherever it is, <laughs> that Christ descended below all things. I think that's the word to be able to understand my personal journey, your journey, all our listeners' journey. And what you just said, Alex, you know, he suffered. We sometimes think, well, he didn't, I don't have a scriptural account of him walking the road I'm walking right now. So he really doesn't understand this. <laughs> you know, I've, and every, and, but then I go back to what you said is in that Garden of Eden, and the infinite nature of that atonement is that he understands everything we all feel. And, and then his ability to heal and give hope because he knows that road. And I think the atonements bless both of your lives to be able to give, to keep, to be able to help you the way it's helped you. I think it's helped you overcome shame and the self-loathing mm-hmm. um, and to help you see yourselves as, you know, as sons of God worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And then I think the atonement then helps you make better decisions going forward because you have this relationship with God and it helps heal broken hearts. One of the quotes in the book is um, sort of, you know, the, I mean, one of the themes is the atonement. When I realized the atonement of Jesus Christ wasn't to change my orientation, but to heal my broken heart. That's when the atonement for a gay Latter-day Saint or an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint really became effective. Well, listeners, thanks for hanging in there. I'm not doing very good on my New Year's resolution to do hour-long podcasts. So, But these stories are just can't do them in an hour sometimes. So um, thank you, our listeners, for listening. Um, thank you, Thomas Weber, Alex Christofferson. Um, we ex- support you and your road. I'm looking forward to your marriage in June and hope that will be a wonderful day where the family circle just comes together to support you in the decisions you made. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>